Thanks, Andrea. Well, good morning, everyone. We're glad you're here today, and uh, we're excited as we continue on in this series, as Andrea talked about, the mystery at Skull Rock. Uh, I don't know about you, but I love a good monster movie. I love classic monster movies. When I say classic, I mean Frankenstein and Dracula and, and Creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, and I love what you uh, might call, uh, what I call, newly vintage monster movies. Uh, stuff from the 70s and 80s, like the Friday the 13th movies, and, and Jaws, and Gremlins. And uh, my favorite from the 80s, The Lost Boys. Does anybody, oh, thank you, somebody remembers The Lost Boys. The Lost Boys had the two Corys, and uh, Jason Patrick and Kiefer Sutherland. There was no cooler vampire than Kiefer Sutherland in that movie when he turns to Michael, and he's like, maggots, Michael, you're eating maggots. No, that is good for like five of you that remember that movie. Okay. <laughs> But I love 80s monster movies, and then uh, today, new monster movies, I, I still love them, although they've changed quite a bit. Now the monsters are uh, possessed dolls and robots and people who can't stop smiling, but I, I still am in. And uh, as I say all that, I think what makes those entertaining for me is that I know that these monsters are not real, uh, with the exception of great white sharks. I, I think that I can enjoy a monster movie because I know when it's over, I can turn off the TV and forget about it because the stuff that I saw is not gonna happen. But what if, about four years ago, an Oregon woman heard sounds coming from her, her bathroom. She was lying in bed and she heard sounds from downstairs and she carefully went down to, to see what it was and she came to a conclusion. A burglar had locked himself in her bathroom. She could see shadows shifting under the door as this real life monster tried to get out. And so she called 911 and the police came and they heard the same sounds. They saw the same shadows shifting. They heard a persistent rustling coming from the bathroom. And so they ordered this person to come out, but no luck. The person wouldn't even respond. And so finally they brought in a canine unit for backup. They drew their guns. They forced open the door. And who was the suspect? a Roomba, a very thorough <laughs> robot vacuum that would not stop. It's, it's just to say, sometimes the monsters are scarier before you actually see them, right? Okay, but what about when you really do? Is there such a thing as a real life monster? Is there such a thing as evil that lurks among us? Let, let's talk a little bit about evil this morning. Uh, 22 years ago, I was living in Michigan, not too far outside Ann Arbor, and I was, was getting ready for work one day, and someone called me and told me to turn on the news. And as I turned it on, I saw footage of a plane hitting one of the Twin Towers. And I thought, like many of you thought, was that an accident? Did something go wrong with that plane? And as we were watching, all thinking that, a second plane hit the second tower, and then reports started coming in about the Pentagon. And, and if you were alive in 2001 or you were old enough to remember, you remember the moment it dawned on you that whatever happened in the first tower was not an accident. It was deliberate, and you lived through something truly evil happening in real time right on your television. And a person who would mastermind an attack like that, a person who would carry it out, there's evil. This past August, the FBI ran an operation to catch people involved in sex trafficking. Uh, they ran this across the country. It was, it was called Operation Cross Country 12. The goal was to identify and locate victims of child sex trafficking over a two-week period. And at the end of two weeks, two weeks only, 
they had located and rescued 84 victims, 84 children in two weeks in our country. The average age was 15 and a half. The youngest victim was 11 years old. Evil is a reality. I, I could keep going. Uh, in, in fact, you know what I could do? Actually, I'll do this. Let's just stop, and I'm going to ask you to remember evil that you have seen personally. Maybe something you experienced. Maybe something you caught the aftermath. I'm going to give you five seconds to just quietly personalize this. It is not difficult to believe that evil exists. And I should say, even as people who believe in forgiveness and that nobody's too far gone from God's love, right? You can believe those things and still believe that these terrible things happen in our world are not just caused by severe mental illness or toxic ideology or greed, selfishness, and sin. You can believe something more is happening behind this, something evil is at play in our world. And one of the mysteries at Skull Rock has to do with evil. One of the meanings of the cross, Jesus' death on the cross, has to do with fighting evil that has been a part of our world for many, many years. Um, let's, let's time out for a second. Why do bad things happen? H how do you answer that when, when people ask you that? There's a bunch of ways to answer that question. Sometimes we say it's bad luck or just, you know, Murphy's Law is what we like to say. Uh, this past Tuesday, Sophia, our creative arts pastor, and I, we went to lunch, and uh, as I pulled into the strip mall to park the car, uh, it was the day that the wind was happening, the big hurricane force winds, and, and uh, I saw these big trees, and, and uh, it was blowing like crazy, and I said to Sophia, I am really scared a giant limb is going to fall uh, off this tree and land on this car, but we looked at each other, and we said, what are you going to do? You got to park somewhere. And all of these spots at this parking lot have big trees around them. So we went inside, we ate, we came out. The car was in good shape. Uh, we pulled out of our spot. We drove 30 feet down the row. And what did we see? Another car that parked right where I could have parked. Giant limb broke off in the wind, crushed it. Why did a bad thing happen to that person's car and not mine? Chance. I wish that I could say I'm a pastor and God was watching out for me. <laughs> What if that person was a pastor too? <laughs> God likes that pastor more than this pastor. No, sometimes things just happen. Uh, another answer to why some bad things happen, some people answer that God is punishing us. Uh, so, you know, I'm always a little bit disturbed when I hear that as an explanation. Uh, for example, uh, God punished New Orleans with Hurricane Katrina. Or, or hey, God punished Watsonville last weekend with those floods. I have a friend uh, whose house burned up in the fires in the Santa Cruz Mountains a few years back. Uh, he, his wife, their three little kids lost everything. He was a pastor who did many things to rally all of our pastors in the Bay Area to work together to impact our communities. I tend to think God was not punishing him, right? I don't know, maybe sometimes God disciplines us, but, 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 but there's a lot of not so great people that seem to go unpunished and a lot of good people that have bad things happen that I don't think God is trying to make a point out of them. Another way that we answer this is by saying, well, people do evil things. And, and I believe that's true. I, I've talked with enough people in law enforcement to know that they've encountered some real evil in this world in the form of other people. And, and I, I've shared some of those stories already this morning, but, but let me clarify. Even good people, like you and me, I hope, are, are, are sometimes evil. 
or at least do evil things. Um, racism, uh, cheating, cheating on your spouse, turning, turning your back on the poor, gossiping about one friend to make yourself look better, uh, cheating on our taxes, cheating on a test. Sometimes bad things happen because people do bad things. Even good people. Bad things happen because good people do evil things. But I want to share with you one more answer today to this question of why bad things happen. It is something we see in the Bible. It tells us something evil lurks in this world. An evil being, an evil one whose job it is to mess up this earth. Last week, we, we started this series on the mystery of the cross, and we said we're, we're going to look at four different meanings behind the cross, and we said one of those meanings has to do with sin and shame, that on the cross, Jesus took our sin and shame, and he took our place. If you were not here last week, and I know a lot of you got really screwed up with that time change last week, uh, I want to encourage you to go online and watch it, because it is the most common understanding of what happened on the day that Jesus died. But this week, and then the next two, we're going to get into some lesser known meanings that we find in the Bible. Lesser talked about meanings, and today's has to do with evil. Actually, it has to do with someone that the Bible calls Satan. Now, I, I think that most pastors, me included, feel a little bit funny talking about Satan. Um, I, I grew up in church. And uh, there was always this one really hyper-vigilant lady who thought Satan was around every corner <laughs> out to get us. Uh, the one at my church actually looked kind of like that, for real. Uh, we had a lady just like this, and she wanted to make sure that we were not hidden, uh, listening to any music that had hidden satanic messages in it. Uh, if you got your ear pierced like I did as a teenager, it was like asking for the devil to come possess your soul. Uh, she yelled at me when she saw me eating Little Debbie snack cakes once called Devil Squares. <laughs> And so I, I, I think church in 2023, we're, we're a little bit afraid of coming off like that person who's always talking about Satan. And, and, and maybe you even think, man, if I were to admit that I believe in a devil or a Satan or an evil one or whatever you want to call him, I would lose so much credibility with people. <laughs> like it is hard enough to have conversations with my unbelieving friends about me having a personal relationship with God. But as soon as I start talking about Satan, I am done for. So we don't discuss Satan. And that's unfortunate because the Bible does talk about this, and it gives us plenty of information, and it suggests that the devil is a bigger deal than we think. Now, listen to what Jesus himself says, John 10.10. 10. I'm going to put this up on the screen. By the way, you, you have heard the second part of this verse. It is famous. We like to say the second part a lot. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus says, I have come to give you a full, rich, abundant life. That's the part of the verse we remember. But you know what the, the, the part says right before that? The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come to give you life and life to the full. But there is someone out there who wants to steal, kill, destroy your life. There's someone who wants to rob you of the fullness that I want to bring, Jesus says. Bring destruction to your world is his, his plan. And I would suggest to you this morning that a lot of the things that are wrong with this world we live in are, are, are not wrong just because of bad luck and not just because people do bad things. They are wrong because there is a being called Satan who is out to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, 
It would take an entire sermon itself. Actually, we could do a whole series on Satan if we wanted. It would take more time than we have today to walk you through everything that the Bible says about Satan, to help you understand why we believe in this weird concept, to, to help you understand who he is, how he got there. Uh, in fact, we did a message on this, a couple of messages on this, and I'm going to find a way to put that link on our website this week in case you want to go back and listen to that, because I don't want to talk about Satan today nearly as much as I want to talk about Jesus. But what you ought to know, he is the author of pain. He is the author of so much suffering in this world. And his plan is to mess with you and your world enough, your life, your relationships, your marriage, your job, your health, that you will turn against God. His plan is to make you think that God is the author of suffering in your world. It's not true. For the drought that shut down a farmer's business, for the hurricane that leaves people homeless, for the storm that capsizes a ship at sea, for the earthquake in Haiti that would take the Western Hemisphere's poorest country and make it worse, for the disease and sickness that one day we will all have that leads to death, that is not God. That is an enemy who has come to steal and kill and destroy. Some people call those things acts of God. They are not. They are acts of an evil being who is hell-bent on screwing up this world. But, but, as the verse I showed you a moment ago says, there's good news. There is a Jesus who has come to bring life and bring it to the full. So let's talk about him, and we'll get to his work on Skull Rock. Um, if I were to ask you who Jesus is, what, what would you say? I, I'm going to guess a bunch of you would say Savior or something like that. Jesus came to save the world. He came to die for our sins. Uh, I would guess a, another large group of you would say loving. He loves everyone. God so loved the world. That's good. Uh, I'll tell you, I heard somebody this week say that he is good. Jesus is a good guy. He's like the neighbor that you always wanted. <laughs> Um, of course, we know that he's compassionate, right? We, we see that in the Bible. He goes up and heals all these people. What compassionate person he must have been to make that such a central part of his ministry. Teacher. You might have said he's a teacher. Wonderful teacher, right? I mean, creative. He told stories. He used parables. Um, friend, you might say. Friend to the outcast. The person that the rest of society shunned or looked down on, Jesus would befriend them. So, so all of those are good answers. None of those are wrong. But I want to suggest to you today, there is an answer to the question of who Jesus was or who is Jesus that few people ever think of. It's an answer I rarely hear anybody give. And if it were given, there's no way it would even crack the top 10. What I will tell you today is that Jesus, while all of those things we mentioned, is also a warrior. Jesus is a warrior. He is a fighter in a battle. And good news, in case you hear that and you think, oh man, he's fighting against me. <laughs> His battle is not against you. And it's not against your neighbor. And it's not against your political adversary, whatever side they're on. It's not against other religions. Jesus is a warrior bent on fighting Satan. Let me show you where we see this in the Bible. And I want to help you see why this thing that we never talk about matters for you. Okay? Right as Jesus was about to begin his ministry, this is actually right before, right before Jesus goes out into the streets and the villages and meets the disciples, before he begins the work he came to do, Jesus goes into the wilderness for a 40-day fast. 
Now, maybe you've heard of this before, maybe you even know what's coming, the temptations, right? These are the temptations of Jesus. But I want to show you a, a few things in this very first thing Jesus did to kick off his ministry that often get overlooked, all right? Let me tell you the story. Jesus goes to fast, and the Bible tells us that Satan shows up. Um, has anybody here ever fasted at any point about anything in their lives? Just I'm curious, a show of hands. I, I heard this story recently of a dad that announced to his family he was going to go fast and pray. Uh, but their five-year-old daughter had recently learned that fasting meant like not eating. And so she shouted, no, dad, you can't fast, you'll die. Uh, and her dad carefully explained that many men and women fasted in Bible times. And the girl paused for a moment, and then to prove her point, she said, and they all died. <laughs> so Jesus is going to do this for 40 days. And the Bible says that Satan comes to him and says, turn these stones to bread. And I won't read you the whole thing, but Jesus says no. A little while later, Satan comes again and says, throw yourself off this cliff and watch the angels keep you from crashing. And again, Jesus says no. One more time, Satan takes him up high and says, see this whole world? It is yours if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, away from me. Okay, these are what we commonly call the temptations of Christ. If you didn't know that story, now you know the story. But here's the part that often gets overlooked. This word that has been translated temptation can be translated a variety of ways. It can be translated temptation, this internal thing that goes on inside of us that kind of prompts us toward a bad decision, this moment of will I or won't I, what am I going to do? But here's something, here's something most of us would never know. This word in Greek, paraismos, can also be translated attack that what happened to Jesus in the wilderness was not just an internal tempting, but a very real attack. Now, that, that's the first thing that gets overlooked in this passage. Let's talk about the second thing. The story in all three gospels that it appears in begins with Jesus being led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. Um, here's the version in Matthew, but all three basically say Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted or attacked by the devil. Now, I have always asked a question. Why would the Holy Spirit lead Jesus into temptation? Doesn't that seem kind of weird? Doesn't he have a lot riding on Jesus to, to have him tempted right out the gates? What if he screwed up? What if he gave in? Good question. But clearly, Jesus held his own. So then why? Well, what if the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be attacked by Satan three times, mind you, to show Jesus right as he started his ministry that he is at war. Ready for this? First day on the job, here's what you're going to find the hard way. There is an enemy here to fight you, and the reason you've come is to be a warrior, to fight back. This is training day, Jesus. Get used to it. This is what you are here on the earth to do. You see, Jesus leaves that wilderness to start his ministry knowing that he is going to be in a nonstop war with Satan. So the book of Mark tells us that Jesus leaves the desert and he recruits his first disciples. And almost immediately, almost immediately, Jesus comes across a man possessed by an evil spirit. Like that is his first ministry job. Uh, if you're a doctor, it's like somebody asking you to do open heart surgery right out of your residency. This is a big deal. Somebody possessed with some kind of spirit, and that is his first thing. Take a look, Mark 1. 
It says, just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Take a look at that. Have you come to destroy us? I want you to see that. Satan and his spirits, his demons, whatever you want to call them, are worried that Jesus is here to destroy them. Why? Okay, turn to the person next to you and tell them why you think that they would be worried about Jesus being there possibly to destroy them. Why would they be worried about that? Turn to anybody next to you, tell them why. Okay, you ready for the answer? Because he is. He is there to destroy them. That's the explanation. Jesus is at war against Satan. Now look at, look at what happens here. Verse 25 says, be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Okay, it's real interesting to me that we translate this, Jesus said sternly. Sternly, sternly is like what your dad did to you when you were too loud. <laughs> be quiet. Hey, I'm serious. Be quiet. That, that's stern. Uh, again, the Greek here says so much more than this. This translation is so mild. What it literally says is Jesus attacked this evil force. Said sternly could be translated attacked. And be quiet or be silent, yeah, that, that is a good translation. But you know what the root word of the Greek word for be quiet means? Choked or strangled. It is literally saying that Jesus strangled or choked this demonic force. Okay, I want you to get the picture. Have you come to destroy us? And Jesus chokes, strangles the demon out. He attacks him. He doesn't attack the man. Let me be really clear about that. It does not say he roughed this guy up. It says he strangled the spirit. Maybe it was like a Darth Vader death grip. I don't know. Now, we see what happens in verse 26, right? The demon violently shakes this man and comes out with a scream. Doesn't that reaction, violent shaking or screaming, doesn't that sound like Jesus gave the demon something a little bit stronger than a stern talking to? Okay, we're in the first chapter of Mark. We're, we're like just 26 verses into the story of Jesus. And what have we seen? Jesus' ministry has just started, and Jesus has either been attacked by or is attacking Satan. We have not read about the forgiveness of sins yet. We've not read about children coming and sitting on Jesus' lap. We've not read anything about love. The word love has not come out of his mouth. Don't worry, it does, it will. Jesus is love. I'm just saying from the get-go, Jesus is at war with Satan. And that piece of our Jesus picture is missing. We don't talk about it. Yet, that's a big reason he was here. Let, let me skip a few chapters ahead, okay? Mark 4, there's a storm at sea. All of Jesus' disciples are out on this boat with him, and Jesus is in the stern sleeping on a cushion. But waves are breaking over the boat. The boat is filling with water. This guy could sleep through anything. And so his disciples wake him up and they say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, let's, let's go back. Uh, a few minutes ago, I talked about floods and earthquakes and, and natural disasters, right? We talked about storms. And I said that the Bible would suggest these are the work of Satan, that he's intent on bringing suffering and violence and damage into this world through natural disaster. Okay, verse 39 tells us Jesus got up, 
rebuked the wind and said to the waves, will you read this, these three words? Quiet, be still. And then the wind died and, and, and died down and it was completely calm. It works. Jesus stops the storm. Okay, guess what words are used for rebuke and for quiet, be still? Yeah, the same ones from the last passage we looked at that said attack and strangle. Jesus attacks the sea. He strangles the storm because he sees the storms and all the ravages of nature as the work of Satan. And he has come to fight a war against Satan. I want you to see this picture. There are all these things that bring suffering that truly are the work of Satan. Storms and famine and you name it. And Jesus is not just going around the world trying to make it a better place. He is attacking Satan. He's doing battle against Satan every step along the way, which means every time he does a miracle, every friend he befriends that was an outcast, every time he teaches someone to love, he is waging a war on the evil one. In Luke 13, we, we read that one time Jesus was teaching in the, in the synagogue on the Sabbath and a woman was there who had been crippled for 18 years. She was bent over, she couldn't straighten up, and the Bible tells us that Jesus healed her. And this, this is the Sabbath. You weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath or even heal somebody on the Sabbath. So, so, so this synagogue leader is upset that Jesus has done this. Now, what I will tell you, for most of the Old Testament, they believed that if you were sick, it's because you deserved it. You must have done something to bring that sickness on yourself. This is the Old Testament. This is the part before Jesus. This is really important because today, some people still try to make that case. You're sick, you're hurt, you're suffering. Must be because God's punishing you. But I want you to see what Jesus says here in verse 16. Should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, should she not be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? The leader says, how dare you heal on the Sabbath? If God wanted her healed, he would have healed her, implying that God wants her this way. And Jesus says, no, Satan has done this to her. He's the one who bound her. God loves her and wants her to be set free. And in that moment, he traces illness and sickness, our disease, the things that break us, not to God and his will for our lives. He traces them back to Satan and him wanting to ruin our lives. And Jesus says, no, I've come to set people like this free. Every healing he did in the Gospels was an attack on Satan. Crosswinds. Here's a mystery that does not get talked about enough. Jesus is a warrior. And the war that is waged is not between Jesus and bad people, or Jesus and sinners, or Jesus and people who aren't holy enough, or Jesus and you. Here's what Paul says. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, other people, your neighbor, that Republican, that Democrat, that person you disagree with. It is against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There is a war and it's not against people. It's against Satan and all the suffering he would bring on this world, every single weapon, hunger, disaster, sickness, you name it, Jesus is here to fight it. And, and we spent a little time talking about why bad things happen. And among the answers that you cannot dismiss, there's an evil one who's doing evil things, Satan. But the good news is there is also Jesus. And he has come to fight every weapon that Satan has 
and defeat them. Every weapon. And that includes Satan's ultimate weapon, the one that seems to win every single time, death. Now, we're only a few weeks away from Easter where we're going to talk about what it means to have victory over death. I don't want to spend so much time on that today. It's going to make Easter feel like a repeat. But, but let me just read you Hebrews 2, 14, okay? We're going to put this up. We'll read it slow. Jesus shared in our humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. The Bible tells us that day on Skull Rock, Jesus disarmed the powers and the authorities, that's Satan, and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. See, Last week, I, I told you that one of the reasons Jesus went to the cross was to defeat sin and shame, these things that would rule over your life. But there's another meaning. There's another huge thing that the cross was about, defeating Satan, defeating evil. When Jesus died on that cross, it was one more attack, one more strangling of Satan. And, and while the war is not over, which is why there's still all sorts of evil in this world, while the war is not over, it has already been won. Jesus triumphed over Satan. By his death, he broke the power of him who holds death. Satan threw his biggest weapon, his greatest weapon at Jesus, death. And Jesus beat that and one of the meanings of the cross, and I know that we're looking at for this series, but this is one we don't talk about enough. One of the meanings is that Jesus went to the cross to attack a being who is constantly attacking you. Every single thing that Jesus did, every single thing was an attack on a being who was attacking you. Every move Jesus made in suffering in this world was a blow at the one who brings suffering and, and here's the thing, Crosswinds. Jesus did not stop fighting Satan when he left this earth. He still does it through you, through me, through the Holy Spirit, through his church. We are the body, the physical body of Jesus to continue to fight suffering in this world. Uh, the book of John tells us that Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. He says, you are children of God. And the authority that God gave me, I now give you to go attack Satan the same way. And by that, what I mean? To bring healing and to bring peace and to bring food and to bring an end to the, the, the suffering that evil would cause around us. And you guys, this is why we do what we do here at Crosswinds. Because when, when Satan would break up a marriage, and bring destruction to a family, we want to see it brought back together. God has given us marching orders to go make that happen. It's why when Satan brings devastation through homelessness, people from this church would dedicate their time during COVID to getting 28 houses built and installed so people could live this crazy winter we've been experiencing in a warm home of their own. That is an attack we get to have against Satan. It's why we feed the hungry, like through the Eden Garden, where we literally grow food to give to people who need produce in the East Bay. It is, it is why we pray for healing. It's why we do our, our elder pastor prayer down front at the beginning of each month. Because while the, the war is already won, the battle is not yet over. 
battles against Satan continue on in your life and in mine and in the lives of people that we love every day. And part of what the cross means is we can do something about that. The cross means we can have victory over that, that we are called to be warriors too. A few years back, I, I showed a video at Crosswinds that I, I, I think is going to put a period on what it is that we've been talking about today and even, even help you understand the lie that Satan gives us about who God is and the state of the world and the truth that God would have you really know. Would you watch this? This is the truth. If we turn things upside down, we can't expect goodness to win in the world. I would be lying to you if I said that the human race has a great future ahead, that altruism could replace egotism, that your lives could be filled with joy, that your children could be safe and healthy. Before anything, you must know the human race does not deserve these things. And I am convinced of this because I know you. Corruption and hypocrisy are in your nature. Compassion breeds weakness when only the strong survive. And I refuse to believe, under any circumstance, that you can turn things around in the coming years. This world may be sinking to new depths, but there are even more revelations to come. The human race has only one destiny, and whether you like it or not, this is what is real. I am the Lord your God, and you should know that I believe exactly the opposite. I am the Lord your God. This is what is real. And whether you like it or not, the human race has only one destiny. There are even more revelations to come. This world may be sinking to new depths, but you can turn things around in the coming years. I refuse to believe under any circumstances that compassion breeds weakness when only the strong survive and corruption and hypocrisy are in your nature. And I am convinced of this because I know you. The human race does not deserve these things. Before anything, you must know that your children could be safe and healthy, that your lives could be filled with joy, that altruism could replace egotism. The human race has a great future ahead. I would be lying to you if I said that we can't expect goodness to win in the world if we turn things upside down. This is the truth. You need to know 
that you have Jesus fighting evil on your behalf, but you also need to know you are invited to join that fight. And we can turn this world around. We're going to receive communion together today like we did last week. We're doing it every week of this series. And and if last week, as you approached the table, you, you thought about Jesus on the cross as a substitute for you, for your sin and shame, I want to encourage you to remember Jesus a different way this week. Maybe today, with whatever is going on in your life, you need to know there is someone named Jesus fighting evil on your behalf. You're going to encounter suffering. Maybe you are right now. And I wonder what it would be in your suffering today, if that's what's going on with you, to know and remember as we take communion, it is defeated. The evil that is causing this for you is ultimately defeated. It might keep getting back up, but Jesus has knocked it down. Maybe for you today, you are sensing God's spirit moving you prompting you to join the effort. What are you doing to fight evil in this world? What is the part that God wants you to play to turn this world around? How do you join the effort that Jesus began? As you go to the table and you take the bread representing Christ's body broken for you and the juice representing his blood shed for you, what if as you take it, you view it as a commitment? God, I am going to fight evil with you. And again, this is not a war against other people. It's a war against injustice. It is a war against suffering and evil done to those that Jesus himself stood up for in his time here on this earth. The band is going to sing a song, and I want to invite you as they get ready and as you are ready, just whenever you're ready, to stand up and go to the table and receive the elements right there. When you're done taking them, go back to your seat and and they'll invite you to join us in singing in a little bit. But what is it that God would have you respond to him with in, in this moment at the table? When you're ready, you can go.
sing this, it may look, oh, it may look like I'm surrounded. I believe it, it may look like, oh, God, it may look like. God, we are singing these words in faith, Father God. Whether we are just coming out of a battle, whether or not we know we are heading into one, God. We know that also on the horizon, you lay, Father God. You are there with us at all moments, in all circumstances, in all storms, Father God. And I'm grateful for that, God. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, have a great day. We'll see you back here next Sunday. Take it easy. Have a good week.